0: I'm gonna be exactly like you. Till then, I know just what I'll do. Barbie, beautiful so Barbie, I'll make you believe that I am you. Oh, no, well, 1959, that was the original Barbie ad. Here she is. <laughs> Barbie this week, is, if you do a study of her careers, it's unbelievable, and I'm not kidding, she <laughs> has been, or is, and this is just a same because we take all more as to go, Barbie has been, or is, elementary school teacher, doctor, dentist, nurse, veterinarian, United States Army officer, Air Force jet pilot, United States President, Chancellor of Germany. Firefighter, police officer, Canadian Mountie, solo only in Canada, architect, astronaut, computer engineer, stewardess, NASCAR driver, chef, Olympic gymnast, business executive, special needs teacher, news anchor, cheerleader, lifeguard, sign language teacher, dance instructor, etc. And she still has time to take Ken to the movies, out to dinner, to the beach on sun in the weekends. She keeps herself in great shape. She's a fashion icon, she has perfect skin and hair. Barbie is amazing. But in all of that amazingness, I discovered this week her greatest asset. Good for a bet. Ken gets to drive. Barbie can't stand alone. No matter how amazing and perfect her little life is, she can't stand alone. Look at those feet. <laughs> look at that flaw. She can't stand alone. And that's Barbie's greatest asset. Now, our lives might not look like Barbie's. I mean, some of us have blonde hair, blue eyes, perfect tell, great looking boyfriend. Some of us aren't even female, actually. But, try to make the connection to your own lives. What do we have that we consider our great strengths, our great assets? Maybe it's our career. Maybe we have the perfect amount of money. A lot of us spend a lot of time and resources on having good health and good figures. So maybe it's our looks. Maybe it's our talents. Maybe it's our intelligence. Maybe it's our ministries. Of things in our lives that we think of as being our assets, our strengths, as being what makes us good, great, things we control and are responsible for. But here's the thing none of those are our greatest asset. Our greatest asset, just like Barbie's, is our inability to stand alone. You see, when we can't stand alone, it is then we move closer and more authentically into the story of God. The good story, the good news. And this is exactly what we find in our gospel reading this morning. Now, any of us who have been Christians for any length of time are familiar with this story of Peter walking on water. Isn't that a great artist rendition? I love that. I don't know what it is, sorry. But it's beautiful. Anyway. Unfortunately, this is one of those stories that has been turned into a morality tip you know that sounds so good but under closer examination it just doesn't hold up to the framework of scripture we've all heard that sermon just keep your eyes on Jesus and everything will be better we've all heard it and don't misunderstand me Keeping our eyes on Jesus is a good thing to do. But that's not the point of emphasis in that sermon. The point of emphasis in that sermon is you keep your eyes on Jesus. See how subtle it is? We do a better job, we'll be rewarded. As if Jesus was standing in the waves and saying, Oh look, how cute Peter's looking at me, i reward rewarded." Or doubting Peter had only kept his eyes on Jesus, he never would have begun to drown. See how transactionalism and legalism slides into our theology so easily? <clears throat> As if Peter was the reason he was walking on water in the first place. If that's the moral of this story... Then after Jesus started picking him up out of the water, why didn't Jesus do what we do with our little ones when they're learning how to walk? Okay, Peter, let's try again. Come on, I'm gonna let go. Come on. That's not what happened. We could all do that, though. Today we go down to the river and practice. Then there's this other keen insight. We take it to another level, and I, I used to use this one a lot when I would teach them the story in the past. I would defend Peter and say, "Well," at least you get out of the boat. Let's be like Peter, let's get out of the boat. And I would feel all good about myself and my insights into this story. In fact, that insight used to be my constant battle pride when I was young. When I was young, I had the privilege of traveling the world as a missionary. I lived among the poor and the lepers of India, and I would always remind myself, hey, I got out of the boat. I might not always walk on water, but at least I was on the boat. I'm good but you see the focus again what do we do how good are we how much faith we have etc we moralize this story until it makes us feel good about our abilities for a moment puts the focus on us and what we can do and that's a feel-good story when we're doing it isn't it oh and life is wonderful and we're at the top of our careers, and we're good looking, and everything's family's wonderful. Sorry, David, I'll that. <laughs> and everything is fabulous because we've got the faith. But boy, when life's not like that. That's not so good of a story anymore, is it? Someone drives across a W line at 4 o'clock in the afternoon. Stop looking at Jesus. It's not such a good, feel-good story anymore, is it? Does it even really make us want to know this God? But see, we moralize stories in the Bible to make them about us because we have a constant suspicion of grace. No matter how much we hear God loves us, No matter how much we hear he died for us. No matter how much we know he offers us grace, and by grace, by definition, grace is free, we're suspicious of grace. Because our world doesn't work that way. We have such a hard time believing in grace. We think we have to do something. Because our whole lives we've had to do something. To get anything in return. Or maybe it's even deeper than a suspicion of grace. Maybe it's the same issue Adam and Eve had. Adam and Eve did not want to be so completely dependent on God. Their creator, so they asserted their independence. It didn't go over to him. And now we're often like that. We... We're always offering God our efforts instead of receiving His efforts. Metz describes it as refusing to face our lot. Our lot, the human condition, is the reality that we are completely dependent on God. Completely. But we don't like to face that. It's like Barbie refusing to acknowledge her inability to stand alone. So what does she do? She gets the accessories. I bought them. You ever noticed every shoe accessory for Barbie's high heels, even her flip-flops on the beach? There's a reason for that. Just give me a second. This takes a while. Do I have to bend the right? Forget it. Promise, I had it this week. <laughs> Not this morning, of course. Come on, <laughs> come on. Last <laughs> oh. <laughs> Big leaves cover up the flaw. What are our big leaves? Good work? hard work? More faith? Keeping our eyes on Jesus better than anybody else? Getting out of the boat, unlike the other disciples? Big leaves. There are high heels, hoping that God will reward us for being good. God died for us precisely because we were We blame Peter for sinking as though it was his fault, something he did. We blame each other for that. We blame ourselves. But there's a major detail in this story that we so often overlook in our zealousness to make it about us. Verse 25. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea this is the bedrock this is the cornerstone this is the final truth of the entire biblical story this is the good news God comes to us that is why it's good news in the very beginning when Adam and Eve asserted their independence and it all went wrong where was God? walking in the garden, looking for them. Coming to them. St. Peter, the very one who tried to walk on water years later would write, Jesus Christ was the lamb slain from the foundations of the world. Before he created us, he was coming to us. He died for us. This is the fundamental framework of Scripture. And to take any story within the biblical narrative and read it outside of that framework they may of us miss the point. When the disciples asked Jesus, who can be saved? Because they thought it was impossible, because they had just misunderstood what Jesus said to the rich young ruler. Remember that story? Rich young ruler, what should I do to be saved? Jesus and him went back and forth. Then he, Jesus finally said, Well, sell everything you own and give the money to the poor. And he just walk away. I, that's impossible. And so the disciples, misunderstanding that give and take, said, well, then Jesus, who can be saved? This is impossible. Jesus' answer wasn't, well, those who get out of the boat, those who have enough faith, those who don't doubt, those who keep their eyes on me. No, that wasn't his answer. His answer was, well, it's actually impossible with you. But that's okay. Because with God, all things are possible. And it's a good thing, with God, all things are possible, because guess what? we're all sinking. That's the thing about this story. That's the good news of this story. Whether we're in the boat or out of the boat, we're all sinking. None of us are standing on our own. And please don't be offended. Please. You may in fact be one of those rare people who do have a life that's a lot like Barbies. You might have the perfect job. You might have the perfect looks. You may have the perfect amount of money in the bank. You may have the perfect health. You may have the perfect spouse. You may have the perfect kids. You may have the perfect talents and the perfect life. But even for you, death is waiting. And all that perfectness is not going to change that. But for the rest of us, those of us who are decidedly not like father, those of us who have learned through our own failures or through the random events of this world, through hardship and sickness and loss, You know that Peter was saying. You pray for two families. Your theology is based because you have enough faith, or you don't doubt. I hope you'll never say it to someone like Mr. Bates. Because that theology will do nothing for you. We're all sinking. <laughs> See, when we know our sinking, when we know we're sinking, we cry out, Lord save me. And that cry reveals to us more clearly. Than anything else. That God is love. That we are saved. That he holds us. Natty Weaver says. The truth of this story. Is that Jesus walks toward us. The truth of the story. Is that my abundance of faith. Or lack of faith. Is not the tear God from drawing close. That even if you are scared to death, you can say, Lord, save me, and the hand of God will find you in even the darkest waters. Because this is a story, not of morals, but of movements. Not of heroes of the faith making their way to Christ, but of Christ drawing near to you in the midst of fear. Lord, save me. The greatest and most important and maybe, Prayer, we need offerings. It's direct, it's to the point, and it's effective because it goes straight to who God is, Savior of the world. It is exactly what God does. He saves. God is love. God comes always. And for those who know we need help to stand. That is, best He will hold. You know, in the story, Jesus said to Peter, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And we assume he was talking about Peter not keeping his eyes on him and, and not having enough faith to walk on water. But read the story closely. I don't think that's the narrative. I think what Jesus was saying was, Peter, why did you ever think you were in danger? Even when you were sinking, I was always going to save. That's what I do. I say. Please know this morning. For our friends and for ourselves. Whatever our major flaws are those things that keep us down, those failures, that sickness, that weakness, that fear, that behavior, that wave crashing over us, that loss, that inability to stand alone. Whatever it is, it is not a flaw. It is our greatest strength, for it keeps us safely in the hands (laughs) Thank <laughs> you.